I love coming to the six o'clock. There's such a presence of the Lord in all of our services. And when I come here, you guys know how to worship. And I love it. I love it. You enter right in. And there's such a blessing, aren't they? You know, I wanted to entitle this tonight, When You've Lost Your Edge and You Need a Supernatural Act of God. Let me tell you, the more you walk with the Lord, the more you will have times of mountains and times of valley. The more you'll have times of victory and times of fighting the good fight of faith. Like the Apostle Paul says. And there are times that you lose your edge in some area or another. And you need a supernatural act of God to meet you where you are. Listen, if you've never lost your spiritual edge, just serve the Lord a little longer. It's going to happen. And it's good to know that other people who love God with all their hearts experience the same thing. Abraham Lincoln said this. If I had six hours to cut down a tree, I would spend the first four sharpening my saw. He said this because at one time in his life, he was a woodcutter. And there's an old fable of a woodcutter who's cutting down a tree and he's struggling and he's frustrated. And a friend comes by. Thank God for friends. Right? And it says, blessed are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes the best friends are the ones that tell you the truth. Not just what you want to hear. If that person sitting next to you, turn around and say, thank you. <laughs> tell them thank you. I'm thankful for friends that tell it like it is. I'm a straight shooter. I need straight shooters in my life. And you know, he's frustrated and the friend comes by and the friend says, hey, why are you getting so frustrated? And he says, my saw, it's blunt. But he just keeps going. And the friend says to him, then why don't you just stop and sharpen your saw? And more frustrated than ever. Because sometimes when we don't hear what we want to hear, it irritates us. Right? And he says, are you nuts? I'm too busy to stop. I got to get this tree down. See, what he doesn't realize is that had he taken the counsel of a friend, he would be more efficient, more effective. Stop and sharpen your saw. See, Steve Conway, he writes this beautiful book, The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person. And the last habit is sharpen your saw. Sometimes in life, we have to, not sometimes, many times, we have to come to a place of sharpening the things that God has already given us. We get dull. We get weary. We're in the middle of a cycle on Elisha. And Elisha, it's a six-week series. So far, we learned that he was the protege of he left his family, he left plowing, he left wealth to follow this mentor, this man of God. 
And the one thing he asked after 10 years of serving with him was, I want a double portion. And this series is a double portion life. And in order to live a double portion life, sometimes you have to stop and sharpen your saw. He does double amount of the miracles of his mentor. I loved when Pastor Ralph preached last week and one of the things he said is that he had a double portion to face the problems and the issues of the day, the modern day. Do we have a double portion to face the problems and the issues in our homes, in our families, on our jobs, in the church? So the problems of the day that need a double portion, right? We learned that the widow, she had a little bit of oil, but little was much in the hands of God. We learned that the Elisha asked her, what's in your hand? We learned about the Shunammite woman who, whose son died, but because she made room for God, right? She found a miracle in her house, in the very room that she made for God. You know, if you're in life groups... You know I'm going to give a plug for life groups, right? So just bear with me. If you're in life groups, you learned about the deadly stew. And how God multiplied the bread for the prophets in the school of the prophets. If you're not in life groups, you can go to the back after the service. We compared the Shunammite woman to the woman with oil. We looked at the symbolism that was in the text. It was beautiful. And tonight, we're going to look at when an axe head, an iron axe head that was about 75 pounds, how Elisha makes it float. Have you ever heard of 75 pounds of iron floating? But Elisha makes it float, a miracle in his day. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 6. The sons of the prophet said to Elisha, please notice the place where we live under your supervision is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan where we could get a log and build for ourselves a place to live there. Go, he said. Then one said, please come with your servants. I'll come, he answered. So he went with them and when they came to the Jordan, they were cutting down trees and one of them was cutting down a tree and the iron axe had fell into the water. He cried out, oh, my master, it was borrowed. The man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, the man of God cut a stick. He threw it in there and made the iron float. Then he said, pick it up. So he reached out and he took it. I mean, first and foremost, the school of the prophets, right? This was a group of young men. There were about five of them. In that day and age, historically at the time, this school of the prophets was in, Jer um, in Jericho, right near the Jordan River. There was one in Bethel. There was a, a few others around, right? And it was a group of men that felt called by God to be prophets. And so it was like Bible school. They would kind of gather together in these places and Elisha, Elisha, other prophets of the day, they would come and they would teach them. And they had a beautiful problem, a problem that we face at Christ's Tabernacle, right? They had a problem of growth. 
Because you know growth brings problems. I'm going to say that again. Growth brings problems. If you're living in a one-bedroom house and you and your husband start having kids, what happens? You have a problem. You need more space. As a church, when we have lines and we can't see people, that's a problem. When we can't get enough people into life groups, that's a problem. But here's what I love. The school of the prophets, they were so conscientious to always give to the next generation. Raise them up. And that's something about our church that I'm proud of. We believe in raising up the next generation. We're not going to be like it was in the days of Joshua where it says they no longer knew the Lord. The older, they pour into the younger. They encourage them. The younger, they receive from the older. And together, we do great things in the name of the Lord. And that's the vision of our pastor. He wants the, the older, the younger, all to come together. For the work of the Lord. I have to tell you, when I was preparing this, I thought, I don't know when I became the older. <laughs> you know, for a very long time, Pastor Ralph, Lisa, myself, we were the younger generation. And a few years ago, I had young adults in my house. Boy, could they eat. I get hangs, and I'm glad you're going to a restaurant and not my house. <laughs> So I had this huge fellowship for young adults. But in my head, I still think I'm a young adult. Right? Like you just, I had to use that spray to cover the grace tonight. But I still think that I'm a young adult. And so the young adults come and they're eating our food and we're fellowshipping, talking about the things of God. And one of them says this to me. You know, Monique. I'm so thankful for this time in your house because we really need you older saints to pour into us. And it dawned on me that I wasn't one of them. I was like, oh my goodness, when did this happen? When did I become the older, pouring into the younger? But you know why I'm okay with it? I believe in this generational blessing. I believe in the raising up the young. When, when I sit there and I see some of the women that I work with who are, you know, 20, 10, 20 years younger than me preaching, I'm like, yes, yes, God, yes, God. More satisfying than even when I'm up there. It's a beautiful thing. And that is the vision of our church. It was the vision in Elisha's day, right? So we know that the school of the prophets was like a Bible school. And when something's growing, when God's in something, it's fruitful. It grows. But that doesn't mean that growth comes without problems. Right? This Bible school student was broke. He had no money. I get that. When I went to Bible school, I had no money. I remember praying for toothpaste. You know, you brush your teeth in the morning, toothpaste. And the next morning, I woke up and I opened the door to my dorm room. And guess who's right there? A tube of toothpaste. I did like the glory dance for toothpaste. And so you could imagine they're young adults. They don't have much. And he goes and he borrows an axe. Because they have a good problem. 
They need to go by the Jordan and cut down trees to make space for what they're going to build. And when he goes and he borrows this axe, and you could picture it right there, cutting away. This wasn't, I could go down to Home Depot and for $22.40 buy an axe. In that day and age, to buy an axe was asking, borrow an axe. It was asking someone, can I borrow your livelihood? Can I borrow your paycheck? I'll give it back. In that day, they would, they would make the axe themselves. If a, a woodcutter had one axe, that was his livelihood. And if someone took the axe and it fell into the water, not only did this poor, broke Bible school student have to pay it back while he was trying to figure out financially and how he could build another axe for this person, that person's livelihood was in jeopardy. So when that axe had falls, he lost his edge. He cries out. Elisha, the axe head, it fell into the water. It wasn't secured. And Elisha says, where did it fall? Where? I want you to hold that for a minute. Because when you look at the questions that Elisha asked, a few weeks ago I told you he asked the woman with the oil, what's in your house? And tonight he says, where did the axe fall? Where did you lose your edge? Where did you lose your edge? Where did you lose your joy in the Holy Ghost? Where did you lose that motivation for the things of God? Where did you lose that passion for prayer and the study of the word, the fellowship with the saints? Where did you lose that sense of, God, I'll give you everything? Where did you lose your edge? Show me. And the prophet brings Elisha to the place where he lost his edge. You know, sometimes you have to picture this as if the prophet that was in the school of the prophets, he was in the workplace. He was cutting down a tree to build in this school that he belonged to. And some of us lose our edge in the workplace. We become edgy. Instead of having a spiritual edge that would elevate the place where God put us. Right? Another person who lost their edge was Gehazi. He was the prophet servant. And though he was around the things of God, he still lost his edge. We're going to learn more about him next week. He was the one that prayed over the Shunammite's son's dead son and nothing happened. Pastor Durso called it the Gehazi dead prayers. He lost his edge somewhere. You know, you could be around the things of God and lose your spiritual edge. You could be on this worship team. You could be in that room, part of the team, on the sound, and lose your spiritual edge. You could be at this pulpit preaching and lose your spiritual edge. Gehazi, he lost his spiritual edge. And when he prayed, they were dead like prayers. See, he didn't have enough sense to say like this prophet did. Elisha, I lost my edge. Help me find it back. 
right? Confess your sins one to another and you will be healed, James says. He didn't have the sense to do what this young prophet does. Elisha, the axe head, it fell into the Jordan. Help! Two other stories. Of course, another plug for life groups. We're going to study these in life group this week. There was a city that lost its edge. It was a city that was built on the water. And you know that any city that's built right on the water has an edge, right? But the water was polluted and it brought death to the city. And Elisha has to come and put salt in the water. If you want to know more, sign up in the back after the service. We're also going to look at a time where an army lost its edge. See, this army was going to war with an army that was greater than it was. And God comes through the prophet Elisha. And there's ditches all around. And he fills the ditches with water overnight. And when he wakes up the next morning, the other army, who is greater than the Israelite army, they look at the water and they see blood. It gave Israel an edge. And they won the battle. If you want to know more, sign up in the back. In all three situations, someone lost their edge. Whether it was an individual like the prophet whether it was a city or an army. You know a church can be like an army? That's why we sing that song. So it could be individual or corporate, but when you lose your edge, we need to do what this prophet did. Cry out. And a miracle can happen. You know, there were, um, we all have a, a spiritual edge and we do get dull. Right? Have you ever gotten dull? Let me see. Oh, yeah, I'm going to raise both hands and a foot. Because sometimes you do get dull, even in your spirit. You know, when cutting an axe is cutting the friction of, the, of whatever the axe is hitting causes a dullness. It's just like a knife, right, gets dull. Even if you're just cutting vegetables, they're soft. They're nothing. But the knife can get dull. Because there's microscopic things that your eye can't even see that's constantly rubbing against it. And a good chef, right, right, Gage? A good chef knows you sharpen that knife after each use because it's necessary. You know daily life rubs against us? Disappointment rubs against us. Weary emotions rub against us, fatigue rubs against us. These things, they cause us to lose our spiritual edge. We're not effective spiritually when we're dull. We need to recognize it and run like the prophet did to God. He ran to Elisha, the man of God. But we have this, God. we don't need a man of God, right? We have him. You have to run. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says this, if the axe is dull and one doesn't sharpen the edge, then you have to exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. And I'm going to talk about two quick characters 
and three quick things that we could do. Wisdom. To make sure that we're like sharpening our edge, sharpening our saw, making sure if we've lost our edge, we're quick to get it back. See, Moses lost his edge. Exodus, he, uh, I forget the chapter, but no, it's Numbers 20, chapters 1 to 14. Read it at another time. But Moses' sister Miriam died. She was his sister. 80 years he's known this woman. She's the one that put him in the basket in the Nile and pushed it into the river and believed God for a miracle. She's the one that went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, I have a, a woman that could nurse this son and brings Moses back to his biological mother. She's the one that looked over him and sang lullabies. She's the one that's by his side as he's bringing Israel out of Egypt and now she dies. And she, he's mourning. On top of mourning, he has a bunch of people complaining. Man, they don't even give him a chance to mourn. He's mourning his sister. And they say this, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness of Zin? So he has a people who are ungrateful, who are complaining, who are filled with doubt. He's mourning his sister. And then it gets worse. It's like those commercials. And there's more. He tries to get water for the people. And it's bitter. And he goes to God in the tents of meetings. And he says, God, what do I do? And this is interesting. God tells him, speak to the rock. And fresh water will flow out. But Moses takes his staff. And the Bible says in anger, he strikes it twice and rebukes the people. God gives them fresh water. But Moses lost his edge. And it cost him. David. David lost his edge more than once. That's why I like him. <laughs> Am I speaking the truth? David lost his edge more than once. But because I'm limited in time, I'm only going to tell you about one time that David lost his edge. And this was a man after God's heart. He was also mourning, just like David, just like Moses. He was mourning the death of Samuel. Samuel was the prophet who found him. David is out in the wilderness and Samuel's looking for a new king to anoint. Shows up at David's house under the instruction of God. And even when his father and his brothers don't believe in him, they didn't even have him in the house. They had him somehow in the field tending to the sheep. And Samuel's checking out all the brothers. Mm, not him. Not, definitely not him. <laughs> I don't think so. Right? He's, and then finally he says, is this it? Because I knew I heard from the Lord. And what happens? He says, well, there's like a scrawny little guy out there tending the sheep. He says, bring him in. And when no one else believed in David, Samuel hears from God, anoints him as the king. Not only is he mourning the death of Samuel, but the only mentor that he really ever had is trying to kill him. And in 1 Samuel 25... We find out that he's kind of, he's already, you know, spared Saul's life once. 
He's on the run. He's out in the wilderness with all his disgruntled men. That's what the Bible says. You got to study it. It says they're in debt and disgruntled. What a crew. 600 of them. And he shows up at a man named Nabal's house. This like nobody. His name means fool. And he says to him, I've been protecting your men out in the field. And so we, you know, can you give us payment? After all, we're living in the wilderness, running from Saul. I'm mourning the death of Samuel. Help our brother out. And Nabal says, get out of here. Who is this David that I should do anything for him? Now, this is the guy who takes on Goliath, who spares Saul when he could kill him. He says, off with his head. He says, is he kidding? He goes with 400 of his men to kill one guy. And not really one, because he said, and every man in his house. He was going to be known as a massacre. Because in a moment of losing his edge, he was ready to kill everybody. A massacre. And this woman, Abigail, comes and she pleads with him. First Samuel 25, you got to read it. She, goes, she says, David... Don't be known as a, a man that, is, that does unnecessary killings and unnecessary massacres because of this fool. Don't let this fool cause you to lose your edge. You need to tell the person next to you, don't let a fool cause you to lose your edge. Some of us get so frustrated and upset about nonsense. You lose your edge. You become edgy over nonsense. You know, I'm thankful that in both lives, Moses and David, they both get their edge back. They both get their edge back. The Bible says that they both die old men, satisfied with life and all that the Lord had done for them. They got their edge back. They're known in the New Testament for men of faith, not men of failure. Right? And so we need to make sure we get our edge back. Three quick things that help us to keep our edge or to get it back. Number one, you got to get with others. I shared that verse. Confess your sin one to another and you will be healed. There's power in that. If you're struggling, can I ask you to do something tonight? Not literally, don't get up, but come into the light. Don't hide. Don't try to say, I can handle this on my own. I got this. I have seen great men of God fall into utter ruins because they wouldn't confess their sin one to another. Find someone you trust. Find someone that can handle your situation. Someone mature in the Lord. And confess your sin that you might be healed. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You can't do this alone. I wish I could tell you that you could be a lone ranger in the things of God, but you can't. That's why we have life groups. Just saying. As one sharpens the other. Man, I could tell you in my life, 
that has been a lifesaver for me. You know, last night, my husband and I had dinner with Pastor Jordan. He was preaching on this same passage, and here we are talking about what we're going to preach the next day. You know what that did to my spirit? I woke up in the morning excited to study, excited to preach, realizing that what God's called us to do is fun. It's exciting. You know how many times I've kind of got together with a friend and, you know, just kind of fellowship and you walk away and you're like, I got this. I could do this. Get with others. Okay, now what I'm going to say is total opposite of everything I just said. And you need to know when to do what. So sometimes some of you need to stop getting with others and get alone. So there's a time to get with others. There's a time for Lisette and I to get together and sharpen one another, confess our sin to one another, spur one another on, encourage one another while it's day. And then there's a time for me to shut my mouth. Sorry, I told you I was a straight shooter, right? And get alone with God. And there's a balance. And some of us like to get alone with God, but we won't get with others. That's not God. And some of us, we want to be alone with God in the garden, but won't trust the soul. And that's not God either. Sometimes you need to get alone with God. You know when you're in prayer, you're seeking the Lord, it sharpens your spirit to hear what the spirit would say. And then there are times that I'm alone with God and I'm reading the word and I'm sharpening the sword of the spirit. Right? So you need the balance of getting with others and getting alone with God and knowing when to do which. And the third one is very practical. Some of us need to know when to rest. You know, rest is from God. And I could speak to this because I've struggled with feeling guilty when I rest. You know, I'm not talking about being lazy. Proverbs 12, 24 says, the diligent hand will rule. Laziness will lead to forced labor. So if you're lazy and that's the reason that you're not working, you need to get a job. I'm not talking about someone who's looking for a job and can't find it. I'm talking about lazy. If you're lazy in the things of God, you need to get to work. It's the diligent hand that rules. But some of us work ourselves to the ground. And when you're tired, you lose your spiritual edge. You're edgy. You're edgy with your spouse. You're edgy with your friends. You're edgy on the job. You know, I make sure I get seven to eight hours a night sleep. Because as a principal, I can't show up to work and be tired. That's a reality. There's too much demand on me to be tired. Not that I'm never tired, but I do my best to avoid it. Because you have to make sure that you're rested, that your spirit is rested, that your body is rested. Mark 6, 31, Jesus is ministering with the disciples and he sends them off. And he tells them to cast out demons and heal the sick and the lame will walk. And they go off two by two and they come back to him and they report Jesus, this one got healed, and that one got healed, and this one was set free from this demon, and this and that. And you know what he says to them? Go, do more. No. 
He said, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. And then he takes them on a boat ride. You ever been on a boat? Something about a boat that will make you rest. It's peaceful. And yet when they get to the other side, there's more work to be done. But there was a period of rest in between. So some of us need to get with others. Some of us need to get alone. And some of us need to rest. So here's my question as I wrap up. If you feel that you've lost your spiritual edge, your joy, your motivation, your peace, where did the axe fall? If the musicians could come, thank you. Where did your axe fall? Where did you lose your spiritual edge? You know, I think it's an interesting question that Elisha asked because the reality is, did it matter where the axe had fell? He was going to make it float. It didn't matter. But I don't think he asked that question because it was going to hinder or help the miracle. I think he asked that question because he wanted the prophet to answer it who lost it. Where did you lose your edge? Where did you lose that sharpness of spirit that you once had? God's a God of restoration. Like Abraham Lincoln, if he had six hours, he'd take the first four to sharpen his edge. Some of us need to slow down a bit and say, God, here's where I lost my edge. And like that prophet who ran to Elisha, I'm running to you. God, I need my edge back. That's the only way we're going to be successful spiritually. You know, the power of the Holy Spirit has a way of causing your spirit to float again. And tonight, as we wrap up, I want you to think about, are you the person tonight that needs to ask the Lord to sharpen your soul again, to sharpen your spirit? The Bible says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open again. The Bible says that if you ask him for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you a snake, something that could bite you. He's going to give it to you and he's going to give it liberally. Do you bow your heads with me? Who needs to get their saw sharpened tonight? Who needs the unction of the Holy Spirit to sharpen them again? Who needs to get with others or get alone? Who needs to rest? The Spirit of God is here to give you rest. Come, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Rest for your soul. Tonight, if that's you, if there's an area that the Holy Spirit has pinpointed that you need to sharpen, I want you to be bold and stand to your feet as a sign of just saying like the prophet who went to Elisha, hey, the axe has fallen. Help me to find my edge again. I see some of you standing. Before we pray, before the worshipers sing, I believe there's more. If you've lost your joy, if you've lost your peace, if you've lost your motivation, 
If you lost your unction, your fire to be all in for Jesus. If you've lost your patience on the job or in your home. I see as I'm speaking, more people are standing. We all lose our edge once in a while. But the Spirit of God is here tonight to give it back to you. I believe tonight in the Spirit, we're going to see the miracle of our edge floating. God is going to restore your edge tonight. So in faith, would you lift up your hands and would you sing with us as the worshipers sing and believe God, believe God tonight. He's going to give you your edge back spiritually, practically, emotionally. 